0: We have more sermons by Rulon Allred to compare with biblical truths next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? (music) Rulon Allred was the original original organizer and first leader prophet of the AUB Polygamy Group. It's also known as the All-Red Polygamy Group. And this is the next part of our series discussing some of uh, his sermon content. Karen Bradshaw is here with us again to co-host. Having been born and raised in the group, she is familiar with his teachings. Uh, We mentioned last time that polygamists rely on the teachings of men, but condemn reliance on the arm of flesh. And I think that's what you can say, Karen. Thanks for coming. And we did yes. rely on the arm of flesh and what men said to us
1: yes, growing up in polygamy. Our hearts now are for the Mormon, the polygamists that are still there. And we're praying for their eyes to be opened.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want them to find the truth and the yes. joy of the truth like we have found by putting yes. aside polygamy and Mormon doctrine and just clinging to Jesus alone. And we yes. do pray for them, yes. Yes. Um, the Bible's teaching is authoritative, and it is His Word by which we will all be judged. And we say that based on the scripture
1: in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, 48 through 49. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak.
0: So we judge all read sermons by God's Word and yes. uh, because that's what everyone will be judged by. Um, we begin this time with the sermon about baptizing for
1: the dead. Life itself and existence is an accumulation of recordings and memories and accomplishments. If you are doing work for the dead, the law of the Lord requires that you must identify the dead. You must have a name. That's the first recording. You must have a birth date. That's the second. You have to have a birthplace. And if that's all you can find, you can do his work with scanty records. God will accept it if it if the man exists but if you have the, his birthplace and date his father and his mother his children and marriage and death and burial date you've got more evidence that he exists the more evidence you've got the better off you are the more laws you keep the more blessings you get oh i heard that all uh, the time. <laughs>
0: This is so messed up. Uh, it's, it's, it's awful. First of all, baptism for the dead is not a biblical command. In fact, dealing with the dead is a strict prohibition in the Bible. Baptizing for the dead is mentioned one time only in all of the scripture. And the context is referring to they, not us, being baptized. We read from 1 Corinthians
1: chapter 15. Else what shall they do? which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all. Why are they then baptized for the dead? Now notice it says
0: they, not us. If, it was, if we right. were supposed to do it, there would be more information guiding us on how to do it. It was obviously a practice that others were doing, but it was not done by the followers of Jesus. At any event, the context is people who believe in the resurrection, not an ordinance to baptize for dead people. Now, we want to impress upon our polygamist and LDS viewers how God views baptizing for the dead. He calls it necromancy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says, "...there shall not be found among you anyone..." Who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. Mm. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out
1: before you. And then we have another one in Deuteronomy 18. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations, which you are about to dispose, dis- dispossess. Listen to you, fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has allowed you to do this. Has not allowed. I mean, has not allowed you to do this. Now, Mormonism, of course, we didn't know that growing up
0: when we were growing up in the polygamy group. But Mormonism no. does claim to be God's kingdom on earth. But they do the very things that God has forbidden his people to do. How does that compute? Uh, Mormonism needs to remember that their own Book of Mormon teaches in particular God does not change. Neither do his decrees change. Baptism for the dead is not a Book of Mormon practice. It is not a biblical practice. Why is it a Mormon practice? Now, not all polygamists baptize for the dead, but I know the AUB group. Oh, they're is, big is into, into that, genealogy. whereas we in the Kingston group did not do that. Um, in All Red's sermon, however, he talked about baptizing for the dead. He made a big deal out of getting all the information mm-hmm. about the dead person that can be found. And, and the more information you get, he said, and notice this, the better off you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, oh, yeah. are you doing was... that for yourself or are you doing that for the dead person? Is, is baptizing for the dead supposed to benefit who? You know? All red said, the better off you are. How's that? Well, obviously it has to do with something he called the Lord's law, that evidence for the dead person must be established. But didn't God know he was dead? Didn't God know about this, all about this dead person? If this is for God, why are you doing Why are the living having to give evidence for the dead to God? And getting all the information about the dead person is somehow obeying some law that all red claims is from God. He said, quote, if you're doing work for the dead, the law of the Lord requires that you must identify the dead. There's no such law of the Lord find it. I, I, I challenge anyone to find it. But it might be called yeah. genealogy, which uh, the Mormonism does do. In other words, do your genealogy. Take all the time it takes to research each dead person to get evidence. God may need to accept baptism on behalf of the dead. Now this is troubling in different ways. First, necromancy is prohibited. Necromancy is dealing with and searching out, contacting the dead. Genealogy, second, genealogy is prohibited. Third, where did the Lord give a law, searching out records of dead people? And four, where did God ever say that keeping a law of dead works will put you in favor with Him? Here are scriptures to back up what we are saying.
1: First Timothy one three and four, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to deviate themselves, Uh or devote, (laughs) sorry, devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Titus 3, 9, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless.
0: Genealogies are endless, and God has ruled yeah. against doing them.
1: I was a big genealogy person, and it was so nice to find out that I was not supposed to do You're not it. not supposed to do it, yeah.
0: And as for keeping the law to be in favor with God,
1: please pay attention to this next passage. Galatians 3:10 and 11: "For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteousness, for the righteous shall live by faith."
0: And he is, oh, it's the law of God for this. The Lord gave this law, it's this law, and this law. And yet, anybody who would do the works of the law is under a curse. Why? Because they can't keep every law.
1: That's it why. It's a curse to live under the I know law. But
0: relying on obedience to religious law only puts you under a curse. And your leaders, the leaders of, of, of religions that rely upon law, are doing everything they can to put you under that curse. And finally, Alma, in the Book of Mormon, chapter 34, verse 35, says um, that someone who dies unrepentant, the devil seals him to himself for eternity. So why baptize for the dead? I mean, the Book of Mormon says that God's decrees don't change. The next portion of this is so that, you know, that's... Did it come from the Masons?
1: Baptism for the dead?
0: Not that I'm aware of. I wonder where Mm -hmm. it came from. Not that I'm aware of. Um, the next portion of this sermon talks about Christmas, Joseph Smith's birthday, and Mormonism's proclamation of the true birthday of Jesus.
1: I now, remember this.
0: this. This, We didn't do this, but I know the LeBaron group does, and your group did, and mm-hmm. um, FLDS, I think, also did.
1: Yeah, it was split. Some families would, and some families wouldn't. Okay, what did he say? It says, It has been prophesied by early prophets of this, this dispensation that this day, December 23rd, would in times to come be a holiday over all the world, commemorating of the life of Uh, of the greatest man who lived in this dispensation, the prophet Joseph Smith.
0: Whoa. Okay. Here we are lifting him up again, lifting Joseph Smith way up higher than exalting him uh, as the greatest prophet. Now the time is the enemy of every false prophet. Most of the world does not know. They don't even know who he is, not to mention his birthday, and, mm-hmm. and even care about it. Growing up in the Kingston group, we did not celebrate Joseph Smith's birthday, but some polygons, like I said, some of them do, mm-hmm. uh, and they some of them celebrated above Christmas.
1: Now, did the AUB celebrate it above Christmas, or equal with, or? You know what? S- uh, certain wives would do it special ways with their husband, like Rulin's wife, Ethel, she would do uh, Joseph Smith's birthday and no Christmas and no Christmas. Yeah. But other wives would do Christmas. That's why he, he kind of preached that. Yes, Mm -hmm. we can, we can celebrate, uh, you know, the Savior's birth on Christmas day, but don't forget April 6th is his real birthday
0: and and Joseph Smith's birthday too. You know, being so close to Christmas day. Now we take exception to the claim that Joseph Smith was the greatest man who lived in this dispensation, uh there's many, 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 many men greater than Joseph Smith. In fact, I am going to name one Christian missionary uh, to India named William Carey, who was actually effective in uh, helping to reduce polygamy in India while Joseph Smith's over here wow. trying to get it installed, you know. <laughs> uh, William Carey was much greater than Joseph Smith was. But more about birthdays. Um, <laughs> we have more for the sermon
1: about April 6th. So... It- And that April 6th would be Christmas Day for the Christian nation of the world. That time is coming. Though that time is coming, it is perfectly proper to worship our Lord and Savior on Christmas Day. Yet when April 6th comes around, we forget that it's the Savior's birthday.
0: Now that's something that Mormonism made up. We we all acknowledge just December 25th probably wasn't the day that Jesus was born. We can right. still celebrate his birthday um, as long as we have the right you know reason for celebrating his birthday. We don't know the exact day he was born. Yeah. God didn't choose to give us that. Uh, but the exact date is unknown. And just because Mormonism claims it's April 6th doesn't mean it was April 6th. Uh, But that's the birthday of the church, and so obviously it had to be Jesus' birthday. But so far as the world showing an indication that they're going to celebrate Jesus' birthday on April 6th instead of December 6th, it's just not happening. You know, just like I said, time is
1: is the enemy of every false prophet. Even the polygamous groups don't do it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: One more quote from another sermon on that topic of Adam is God. That he fathered our spirits before we were born is a bit redundant, but he preached it several times, so it must have been important for him and for the polygamy
1: group members uh, to
0: have believed it. So we have another quote:
1: Through the Prophet Joseph Smith, we have learned that we descended, we descended from the gods, that God in heaven begot our spirits. I want to bear you my solemn testimony, as a servant of God, that. As Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, so is Adam, the father of our bodies and our spirits, that we are near to God as we are near to Adam. I thank God that this holy doctrine, along with other glorious doctrines, were revealed to us by the prophet Joseph Smith. He stands second only in glory among the exalted children of men. Joseph the prophet came nearer to perfection, perhaps, than any other natural mortal man.
0: Notice how much they exalt Joseph Smith. Again, mm-hmm. they're relying upon the arm of flesh and exalting the arm of flesh rather than mm-hmm. our only focus is supposed to be Jesus. Uh, and again, he says Adam is the father of our spirits and our bodies. The Bible said God is the father of our spirits in, in that he's a creator, not that he... Um, uh, fathered them through sexual activity, as they claim. But he said, I want to bring out this point where he said, we descended from the gods, plural. Now, using our Bible for evidence to that statement, we find none. <laughs> so, yeah, it leaves a child very confused. <laughs> we do find an opposing statement that the false gods of the nations are idols, that there is only one God, one Jesus, one faith, that is it's not polygamy and it's not Mormonism. Alred believed he would become a god because of his Mormonism and his polygamy, as do other Mormon polygamists. But God did not leave himself without testimony. And his testimony is that he alone is God anywhere, everywhere, always, and without exception. We have a couple of quotes from Second Kings and First Chronicles.
1: They rejected his decrees, and the covenant he may, have, had made with their fathers and their and the warnings he had given them they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless for great is the lord and greatly to be praised and he it is and he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the people are worthless idols but the lord made the heavens okay now
0: the word gods is used here with a small g and plural, but he's talking about idols, idolatry. Uh, For the gods of the peoples, it says, are worthless idols. But it's God, our Lord, who made the heaven, the creator, the creator. There's only one God, really. When the Bible talks about all gods, it's always referring to false gods, mythical gods, idolatry, pretend gods that have been set up in human religions as being true gods, but God knows this and calls them worthless he said that those who worship false gods become worthless, worthless. too. How sad, how tragic mm-hmm. is that? Yes. Uh, and it describes Mormonism's false belief of many gods. an all-read statement that we descended from the gods. It's a worthless belief. He also said that Joseph Smith was almost a perfect person. He, he said, and I quote, He stands... Second, only in glory among the exalted children of men, I assume I just, that I second see. one is Jesus. You know, first Jesus, then Joseph. Yeah, they taught that. That's what that they he believe
1: was also the Holy Ghost.
0: Some of them did. Yeah. Some taught that. Uh, that was a polygamy belief. Group. I don't think it was a Mormon belief. Oh, but, yeah. Luke. But I know there's some who did teach that he was the Holy Spirit. But again, it's the arm of flesh talking. Uh, somebody talking, They, those who believe in false gods become worthless themselves, it said, and so their doctrines are worthless. Um, but Joseph Smith is not second only in glory. In fact, Jesus said, I will not, God said, I will not share my glory with another. And they're trying to share God's glory with Joseph Smith. Right. Uh, he's not to be idolized and he's not to be trusted. We have a quote from Jeremiah 17.
1: Thus saith the Lord, cursed is the man who puts his trust in man and makes flesh his strength.
0: There you go. You put your trust in man. Joseph Smith was a mere man. That's all he was. Fallen prophet, if you want to call him that. Uh, if he was a prophet, he was a false prophet. Uh, we don't make flesh our strength. It's God. It's through Jesus Christ alone only. red said in the last quote that Adam being God who fathered our spirits and bodies is a most holy and glorious doctrine. Mm-hmm. Now, polygamy has also been labeled as a pure and glorious principle. Eliza Snow, one of Joseph Smith's wives, said, quote, I bear my testimony that plural celestial marriage is a pure and holy principle. So they've got pure and holy men, pure and holy practice of polygamy. Their definition of pure and holy and glorious comes from an odd dictionary, Uh, certainly not from the Bible. Uh, on page two fifty five of of all red sermons, he said that that this glorious doctrine is the joy of our lives. Talking about polygamy, the joy of our whose lives? Would you say that you lived a holy and glorious life as a plural wife? No, it was a lot
1: of heartache. Oh yeah.
0: yeah. And most most polygamists will plural wives will say that.
1: I don't know any any holy, happy people
0: that are living that glorious are living lives. No, way. no, yeah.
1: No, they're all pretty miserable,
0: and but they think that they think it's wonderful because God's going to pay them back one day.
1: Mm-hmm. They're
0: earning a debt from God, and privately, Rulin and Allred's households were not bathed in glorious joy. We talked mm-hmm. about that earlier, right? Right. That's right. Our next quote is from another sermon. It talks about the eternal laws that God gave through Moses. Now, Mormonism, again, loves the words law, laws, eternal laws, and ordinances, all of which were done away with in the new covenant of grace through Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. All read obviously doesn't understand grace or the fulfillment of the law by Jesus on our behalf. We have a quote from Matthew five seventeen before we quote what he said.
1: Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill.
0: Okay, now just what Jesus said. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Um, now, Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. He, he fulfilled the law completely by never breaking the law, by doing everything the law said he was supposed to do and not do. Okay? He was declared righteous from his perfect life, so then he could give us his righteousness for those who will believe in him by faith alone. Now that's grace. God gives salvation by grace based on Jesus' perfect life, having fulfilled all of the law. Now all red didn't understand the simple meaning of Jesus of what Jesus said, and we quote
1: Therefore we find the law thou shalt not kill it still. Thou shalt not kill is still effective. It was fulfilled in Christ. It It wasn't. wasn't, Sorry, it wasn't fulfilled in Christ, so that we could go around and kill or commit adultery. It's effective. Thou shalt not steal was not fulfilled in Christ, so that we are now free to steal as we please.
0: Now, this is confusing. What what he's saying here? I guess if it's fulfilled, he thinks that we're free to break the law. I'm not quite sure where he was going with this. He thinks that, though, right? But he thinks. I think that he's pointing out to our salvation by grace. That Jesus fulfilled the law for us, but He didn't fulfill it because we still have to keep the law. So His confusion—I oh, that. yeah. think that's what He's getting at—is a confusion of they don't understand grace. They don't understand right. what Christians truly believe. What the Bible teaches they have to about keep that. Keep all the laws. That's what they believe. Mm-hmm. They have to keep them mm-hmm. all. But Jesus kept them all Himself, so He did fulfill the law. Um, Now, trying to explain this in a few words, of course, is challenging. And it can be simplified by saying Jesus didn't steal. He never lied. He he didn't commit adultery or murder anyone. He broke none of the Ten Commandments nor the ceremonial laws given in the Old Testament. So he did fulfill all the law. He fulfilled it perfectly on our behalf, as our substitute. So when you trust Jesus alone for eternal life, it means... You must throw out everyone and everything else that you may think helps your salvation. And when you do that and trust Jesus alone, he will give you his righteousness. He fulfilled the law, all of it, for you. He deposits his perfections to your account. Now, that's simplified, but that's basically what it means. All reds seem to think that fulfilling the law, Jesus made it possible for people to do things the law forbids. But that's not what it means. No one is made right with God by keeping the law. Remember, we just read in Galatians, if you try to keep the law, you're under a curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's twisted that and turned it around. For uh, is those, he saying that? Are you saying that he's saying
1: it's okay to steal? No.
0: He's saying that we cannot steal. And so Jesus didn't fulfill the law because it's still effective in our morality. Okay. But he doesn't understand that Jesus did it as our substitute. Okay. So we're, we're under that. Our heart changes when we actually, it actually changes. We're given a new heart. We don't want to steal. Right. It changes okay. our want to do's. No one is made right by God by keeping the law, but only by faith in Jesus alone. And for those who believe that polygamy helps you earn God's favor, you're doing it all in vain. Sad but true. Then Alred said this.
1: The eternal laws, most of which are incorporated in the Ten Commandments, are a part of the the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not fulfilled in Christ. Okay.
0: Wow. Yeah, that goes totally against what the Bible teaches. Absolutely. They were fulfilled. He's calling Jesus a liar. It takes away the purpose of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It puts those who believe this false doctrine under God's curse, as we read in Galatians, because they place themselves under law-keeping. The Ten Commandments are not part of the biblical gospel. It's by grace alone that we're saved, not by works of the law. Read um, Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, Titus chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, and many, many, many others. We've already read some in Romans and Galatians. We who trust Jesus alone will be judged according to His righteousness. Those who work to attain their own righteousness will be judged by their failure to do so. That's scary.
1: That's why they're under a curse Yep. if they try to live by the law. Finally, we're going to quote him on a
0: unique religious doctrine of Mormonism called the United Order. Mm -hmm. Almost every Mormon polygamy group is organized as a united order. The early Mormon church attempted to make the United Order work with the LDS people, but failed. Uh, Here are a few of the remarks on the United Order, also known as religious communism.
1: (laughs) It says, the proper way to live the United Order is that Every individual that comes into it will have consecrated everything that he has to the Lord, every surplus that he can get. During the days of Ananias, when Peter, James and John were in charge of the priesthood, the brethren sold everything that they had and brought the money and laid it before the brethren. This was the, the law and they started to get into a community living. The proper order was to lay everything that they had before the council, before the priesthood, the quorum of the twelve at that time. Then it was dispensed to every man that portion which he needed. Then he gave one tenth of his increase to the Lord. After he had dedicated everything he had and had a stewardship, he gave one tenth of his increase to the Lord. Now this is the law. Wow!
0: So there oh, again, my yeah, law, law, law. Oh, it's all law. Can you imagine, and then he's making up things that never happened in the early church. He's saying all this stuff happened. It didn't happen. Yeah, and it certainly isn't in the Bible that it happened. And it's not a law of the Lord. There's no commandment, a law of tithing in the New Testament, which is the New Covenant. There was tithing in the Old Testament, but it was never like what Allred is described here. You give out of the joy of your heart, according to Bible giving in the New Testament church. Yes, we get it. We don't. We don't give in coercion. It's not a law, though. Um, Allred mentions the days of Ananias, which is in Acts chapter five. Many polygamists use that story as a basis for to live the united order, but the context is lying for the Lord. It's not starting up commun- communal living. Uh, Peter, James, and John were not in charge of the priesthood because the priesthood was finished, completely fulfilled in Jesus. New Testament giving is out of what we have and is not to be coerced or guilt-tripped into giving. Um, But Mormonism has turned it all around and twisted it. And that's all the time we have for now. We could go on and on and on (laughs) and on. Uh, and discuss this term. There's more to come, and we will do some more uh, as in the future, as as we go on. But Bible students can easily see the differences in what he claims is law, and what the Bible teaches about law. And I think his use of law, and so many of the, many Mormons and polygamists use the word law all the time, is to get us under the under the burden of guilt and shame. You know, they can shame yeah. us into heaven or guilt trip us into heaven.
1: And they think that those laws will sanctify and justify us. I was just having a conversation with my brother. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's by grace we are saved, not of our works. Yeah. That no man should boast. Mm-hmm. Through faith. Yeah.
0: Somebody said if we could get to heaven by our good works, we'd all be up in heaven going around boasting like a bunch of roosters, bragging on how how much we did to get there. <laughs> Oh, we would, wouldn't we? God gets the glory. We don't get to do that. Anyway, thanks, Karen. Both the LDS Church and Fundamentals believe that their organization is the true kingdom of God and will rule both earth and heaven in the millennium and in eternity. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 is their proof text, and we quote, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom Be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. They believe the stone cut from a mountain by no human hand was Joseph Smith, and that he restored God's kingdom on earth, and despite continued attempts, it will never be destroyed. It will fill the earth, and the whole world will be Mormon. But they forgot to read Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, which says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is not Joseph Smith. It is not Mormonism. It is not polygamy or the United Order. Jesus Christ is the center of God's plan and all his prophecy. He is all. He is everything. He is the Savior. He is the stone cut out of a mountain. Not Mormonism and not polygamy. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by a Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.